Hey, welcome to church. I'm so glad you made it. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF Church, and we are continuing in our series called Masterclass, where we're having a conversation through the book of James. Uh, and I'm super excited. I love the book of James, but you might be wondering, you know, I got friends named James, and why would I listen to them? So why am I listening to someone named James who wrote something 2,000 years ago? I want to let you know there's a couple of reasons why we should take what James says seriously. The first is he was the half-brother of Jesus. So he got to grow up with Jesus. He got to see his ministry. He got to see the resurrected Jesus, and his life was turned around. And so he was convinced as a brother uh, of Jesus that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God who had came uh, to earth and to, to live a perfect life, die on a cross, and offer us forgiveness of our sins. And the second one is we're told elsewhere in Scripture that all Scripture is God-breathed. And, and so what we believe is that God used the pen of James uh, and the personality of James to communicate exactly what God wanted to say. And so the, the words that we read in the book of James are not just some guy who penned something 2,000 years ago, but they're the very words of our living God. And so we take it seriously. And I love the book of James because he is super direct. He is just upfront, in your face. It's hard to squirm around it or to interpret it uh, outside of the meaning that James has for it. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about our passage that we're going to be looking at today, I was thinking, I'm a parent, and uh, a lot of times at my house, uh, I'll be sitting in the living room, my kids are around, and I'm like, okay, it's chore time, so I'll say, okay, it's time to go do chores, and my kids, you know, after they get done complaining and whining about having to do chores and, you know, explaining why they shouldn't have to be doing this, and, you know, they're not slaves and all this thing, uh, I, I eventually they, they go off and disappear into the house, and I will tell you that inevitably, just give it a few minutes, one of my kids will show up back in the living room and they will be telling me that the other kid, their sister, is not doing their chore. And I'm like, why does this make me so angry when they come back up and report what their sister is not doing? Well, the first thing is, I know if they're talking to me in the living room, what are they not doing? They're not doing their chore down in their room. So they've already taken themselves out of what they're supposed to be doing. So that frustrates me. And then I also know there's probably a 75% chance that what they're telling me is at least kind of partially true so that I, Pretty, pretty assured that their sister is not really doing their chore either and, or is, is, is messing it up. Another reason that it, it, I think it just gets under my skin and frustrates me that they're tattling on their sister is they're throwing their sister under the bus, that they're not standing up for one another, that I really want them to be uh, uh, human beings who care enough about others that they stand up and defend others, uh, that they, they're not just looking for an opportunity to kind of push them aside and get ahead because someone else is failing. Uh, and it, it, that could be so frustrating. The other thing is, when they're telling me, I can guarantee you, almost every time what they're telling me is embellished with untruths, or they're, they're kind of painting a picture that isn't fully accurate. And so then it gets into a, heart, a, a deeper heart issue of, of lying and character issues. And that, as a parent, I push back against really strongly. Uh, and so that, that's why I don't love my kids. Um, I love my kids, let me tell you that right off the bat. But I don't love it when my kids tattle on each other. Uh, and I know if you're a parent too, it, it probably gets under your skin as well. And you know, we can laugh about it when it's my kids, right? I can, we can kind of just like chuckle a little bit at the whole situation. You can probably imagine yourself, uh, if you're a parent, uh, doing similar things and feeling similar, similar ways. But what about us? You know, have you ever been talking uh, in a group of friends and they start undermining their spouse? Uh, to you, and maybe they're just, you know, it's just a venting opportunity. They just need to vent to somebody. Uh, maybe they're, they're, they're venting to their kids. Maybe you're talking to your kids about an ex-spouse, and you're saying negative things about them. Uh, maybe you've said something like, 
uh, you know, my job stinks, uh, my boss is this, or my coworker is doing this, or my CEO is doing this, and you follow that up with some very negative things that they are doing that makes your job horrible. Uh, we, maybe we wouldn't even disagree there. Uh, maybe you are, you, you've got siblings, and if you've got siblings, and I know for a fact that either you have tattled on them and thrown them under the bus, or they have done that to you, and we can all kind of figure out, and, and we've experienced that feeling. And so I don't want to discourage us, but what I really want to do is let you know that you are in good company, that we are all in the same boat together, that we have all been on the tattling end, and we've all been on the receiving end, where somebody has said things and undermined our character to somebody else, and it's not a great feeling. Uh, but, but there is a truth, and that is that just because everybody else is kind of in the same boat, it doesn't justify our continued behavior in it. And I remember back when I was in Denver, I was a youth pastor, and I was uh, driving a Jeep at the time, a camouflage Jeep, and I brought it up here actually to Alaska. You may have seen it. I did sell it, but uh, at the time, it was summer, and I remember I had three high school guys in my Jeep. We were going down the 70 um, with a top off. They're screaming, being high school kids and just being crazy. And uh, I was with a group of six to 10 cars. I don't remember, but I was just right in the middle. Of, I, there were cars in front of me and behind me. I was just going along, not paying attention to how fast I was going. And I remember in the rearview mirror seeing a police officer put his lights on and then work his way up through traffic and pull me over. And I got a ticket. And did I deserve the ticket? Why did I get the ticket? Well, because I was speeding. Um, but I did ask the officer, how come you picked me out? And he goes, well, I had to pick somebody. And what, what I learned from that was it doesn't matter what other people around you are doing. You're responsible for your own behavior. You're responsible for your own actions. Um, and ultimately, we are accountable to uh, ourselves and to God. Uh, it doesn't matter what other people in, um, in and around us are doing, that we have to, to be accountable to that. Um, and I want to tell you that there is a, a great amount of hope and encouragement that God gives us uh, because we all have fallen into this trap of talking uh, badly about other people, maybe when they're there or not there, uh, or been, been uh, talked about badly to somebody else, and we know what that feels like. And, and I love it that God gives us some clear direction and encouragement uh, in his scripture on how to handle these situations uh, and how to live our lives well before him and, and, and around other people. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Jesus. James chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses today, 11 and 12. It's super short. And again, James is like super uh, in your face, super clear uh, and blunt, and I love it. So there's just really no way to squirm around this today, and, and I love it. It's a simple message uh, to us, and I love it because I'm a simple person, and I like to be told exactly what I should or shouldn't be doing sometimes. Sometimes I need that. So James chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says this. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And again, I love it that he just comes right out of the bat and says, don't speak evil against your brother. And what he's really saying is, and as a parent I can relate to this, and this is the first point, knock it off. If you're doing this, he, James is just coming right out. And there must have been dealing with an issue in the early church, and he just says, hey, guys, you're, you're talking evil about each other. Knock it off. And, and he starts off, and then he continues on with, well, why? What's, wh why is this such an important thing that we don't undermine other people around us with the things that we say? Uh, 
and, and he, he goes on to say, it's, it's this way. He kind of sums up the rest, of, you know, really uh, right after he says, don't do this, don't speak evil of your brothers, uh, he tells us why. And basically what we're doing is we're stepping into a position, into shoes that we cannot fill, that we are never going to be able to fill, that only God can fill the shoes of judge. And the reality is, no matter how much I think I am a good judge, I know that I'm flawed. My motives are oftentimes, always flawed, and I always have mixed motives, and my information is always incomplete. But with God, he is fully loving, full of grace, and full of truth, and he sees the entire picture. He sees down to the heart of every individual. And so God alone is in a position to judge uh, each and every person. So we don't have to, and nor can, and we're being told and warned by James, don't step in to that position. That's a very dangerous place to go. So is there ever a time when it's okay to talk about someone else, maybe when they're not there? Uh, and I would say yes, there, there is a time that we can talk about people when they're not there. You know, if I'm a business owner, if I'm uh, uh, a supervisor at work, I'm gonna talk about and uh, my my, the workers that I'm responsible for. I'm going to be evaluate their behavior and their job performance. If I'm a parent, you know, my wife and I, we sit down and, and oftentimes we'll talk about our kids. And we, we want to uh, get to the best way that we can uh, address situations that are coming up. And so together we're coming up with a strategy uh, that can help and, and uh, allow our kids to grow into to the young women that God wants them to be. Uh, and so that's really important. So Where's the line then? Because, you know, we can say that, like, okay, it's okay to talk about people, but then James is saying, don't speak evil about people. So where's that line? Because it, it can be really hard. And I've heard people say, you know, like, well, if you'd say it to their face, then it's okay. And I'm like, man, there's things that I would say to someone's face that I just shouldn't say to someone's face. And so I don't think that's a great uh, line to draw. And another one I hear is like, well, if it's true, then it's okay to say, to, say about somebody, you know, whether or not they're there. And, and the reality is I don't think that's a great line either because I could say true things about somebody and I could do it in a way that undermines who they are and drives a wedge between them and others. And that would then be what James is talking about, speaking evil against a brother. And I think that's not healthy. So that's not a great line to draw. And, and so I think sometimes we have to get down like into our own motives. I think that's a start is why are we talking the way that we're talking about this person? What is it really trying to gain? Are we trying to make ourselves look good to others? Are we trying to, uh, this false idea that if I push somebody else down, if they lose, I win. And that can be our motivation, even if we're not willing to articulate that. And so we have to be honest about that. Are we really trying to help? Uh, but that's not even, I think, the, the ultimate line. That's not going to help guide us because we could have a good motive and we could come across and do it in a way that still hurts the other person unnecessarily or undermines the unity of the family. You know, on, on our staff here at ACF, we have some core values. And one of those core values uh, that, we, that we have all agreed on and we have agreed to uphold them uh, is we have each other's back. And it's not just a, a, a nice business saying. We didn't just grab these from thin air, but what we did was we looked at Scripture and we asked, what is God calling us to as a team of leaders in our church? And ultimately, we believe that this is a value, and all of our values are directly from Scripture, not just to leaders in the church, but they are directly to each and every person following Jesus Christ. So this applies to all of us, not just uh, people who may work vocationally at a church. And, and so what does it mean to have each other's back? Why is it so important? 
And what it really means is that I'm going to assume the best in my coworkers, even if I'm not seeing that evidence right now. I'm going to assume that they made the best decision they could at the time. And so I'm going to defend them passionately, regardless. I may go to them and say, hey, I heard something. Could you explain it to me? And, and, but I'm going to come at it with an attitude to other people that I have my coworkers back, always. Uh, and, you know, this can be really subtle, the way this can creep in. You know, our church is growing, and the, the perception can be that each and every person uh, on staff here at ACF is in on all the decisions that our church makes, that we all sit down in a room and we, we talk about everything going on and that we, then everybody gets a vote on all the decisions. The reality is, as we've grown as a body of believers, that basically we, we're, we're being pulled further into to not be involved in every decision. And so we have to put people over other decisions. And so the reality is I'm not in on every decision that gets made around ACF. And somebody may come up to me and say, Stuart, why, why are you guys doing this? And I can respond a couple of different ways. I can say, man, that sounds crazy. I don't know why they would do that. I wasn't involved in that conversation. And, and that undermines my team. And that's not having my team's back. And that's just, that's, that's what James is talking about here. Or I can respond with, you know, I wasn't involved in all of the conversation that led to that decision, but, but I'll ask around and, and I'll get back to you and let you know what went into that decision. And that's very different. I hope you can hear the difference in those two things. And the, the caution here is that, man, we are experts in justifying our own behavior. I can, I can justify, like, I'm going to talk about this third person to another friend because I need advice on how to deal with this hard situation. But what I ultimately have done, if I'm not super careful, even in my best intentions, which I would question, is I've driven a wedge now between them, and there's going to be a seed of doubt or, or discouragement planted in that relationship that never needed to be there, and I have made disunity in the body of believers. And so I think Scripture gives us clear guidance in this, and we see this in Ephesians 4.29. It says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So I want you to stop just for a second and think through the friends, the people that you hang out with and, and ask yourself, is there someone in that group who is maybe constantly or more often than not, they're, they're gonna find the negative in other people and they're, they're constantly undermining other people and, and finding the faults. And you know, maybe, maybe you just elbowed somebody in the room or maybe you just got elbowed and you really need to pay attention to this, right? But think also in your friends, is there someone in your group that is positive, that they're always defending other people. They're, they're not just making stuff up, but they just, they'll see the good in somebody else. They'll, they'll believe that they have the benefit of the doubt of other people around them. And they just come across very positive. And I want to ask you, who do you put more trust in? And I can tell you, for a matter of fact, that I, I'll listen and trust the person who's positive every day of the week about other people around them. And there's, there's a reason why, and it's this. If someone's tearing down someone to you, they'll have no trouble tearing you down to someone else. Another way to say this, and it's an old proverb, it says, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. Yeah, don't think that they're just confiding in you and that that's where it ends, that when they're with their other friends, they're gonna be talking about you. It's a character trait more than it's a situational trait. And so we have to really be careful of how we examine 
uh, or talk about other people. So what does it look like to interact in a healthy way with people who have uh, maybe done some things that are hurtful, uh, maybe people who are saying some things or doing things that are just not good uh, to other people, that they're, they're, they're causing dissension? You know, how do we interact healthily in that? And I would say you know, emphatically is it depends. Uh, the first thing it depends on is, is it, is it really a big deal? And you have to make that decision. Is this something that I can just let roll off my back that I don't need to own and address directly? And maybe it hasn't risen to the level of I got to kick back. I'm just going to, I'm just going to watch for a little bit. I'm going to let it ride and uh, I'm going to extend grace in this situation. Or maybe it's, 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 you feel more strongly about it. You feel convicted that this is something that needs to be addressed. And that's what I want to kind of uh, address right now and talk about. Um, and Scripture gives us some clear guidance in here, and there's a couple major passages, and the first one is Proverbs 27, 6, and it says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And I can tell you that even when it's hurt and been super uncomfortable, I respect people who have come to me privately and told me the truth about something that I did or said uh, or a, a behavior trait that has been ongoing, it may, at the time, I did not appreciate it. I am definitely, I get defensive just like everybody else. I don't want to be told that I'm doing something wrong. I want to believe that I'm always perfect. But the reality is that there are people in my life that have cared enough about me to tell me the truth. And when they have, I realized after the fact that they were truly my friend, that they truly had my best interest at heart, and I respected them for it. And I hate confrontation. Um, I am definitely not one that, that wants to go and confront somebody else on something else. If, if it's possible, I would love to avoid that altogether. But age and the grace of God has taught me something, and it's this, that we de- demonstrate our genuine care for someone when we speak the truth to them. We, we demonstrate that we really care about someone else <coughs> Excuse me, when we speak truth to them. And we do it in love. We, we, we don't come at them with a baseball bat uh, verbally and expect them to receive that well, but we, we also don't beat around the bush. And that's, again, why I love the book of James is he's giving us truth and he's being direct about it, but it's out of a heart of love uh, that he's doing it. So what do you do if they, someone you're, you care about is, is maybe hurting others around them by what they're doing or saying? Uh, what is our responsibility? And the second verse that really plays into this is found in Matthew 18, and it's verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So what are we, what are we called to do? We're called to go to someone alone first. And if you read the rest of this passage, you're going to see if he doesn't listen, uh, if he listens, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, then you take some more friends who are familiar with the situation and you go and confront him again. So there's a, a, a process, but it starts off with this alone. And why is that so important to do this privately uh, and not publicly to start off with? And I think the first step is, I may not have all the information. I may not be seeing the full perspective. And so when I go to someone privately, I can gain understanding and it may clear it up right away. Maybe I just didn't understand what was going on. Maybe I saw one thing, but the, really what was going on is something different. And so I can, I can eliminate that I'm assuming of what they're doing. I can get facts right from them. And so that can help. It, it communicates to them, too, that I respect them. It communicates that I care enough, especially as someone for me, like me, is not a confronter. It communicates that I do really care. Because if I confront you, uh, you've got to know that it has risen to a level um, that, that I can do nothing else but that. And so it, it really, for, for me and for others, it communicates that we care deeply. 
excuse me. So what if the person who you're dealing with, they, they've said some things directly about you. They've maybe hurt you personally. Uh, do you, can you get them back? Because, you know, I've, I've read in the Bible, it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And you can read that. It does say that in Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It, it repeats it. And it's really the law that if it, however you violate uh, the, the relationships around you, that that's what will happen to you. That that's, that's the equality of the law, the balance of the law. And that makes sense, right, logically. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and he, and he, he addresses this. Because he's like, people were just like holding people to the fire. And like, well, if you do this, then I can get you back. Because the scripture says that. And they were using that as an opportunity to offend people. And it was just like this never-ending process. And so he addresses it. And he says in Matthew five thirty-eight, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And this is Jesus speaking. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So why would Jesus take the time to address this issue and redefine how we're to interact with each other in our relationships? And the reason is, and just to sum it up, is that Jesus was on a mission to seek and to save the lost, to reconcile sinners to a righteous God. He had a longer game in mind than just what's going on right now. And so he was encouraging us and really commanding us to put aside our rights at the exp- so that others, you know, that, that's an expense to us, that costs us something so that others can experience the grace and truth of God. So that, yes, we would, we would have to give up something so that others can maybe experience that grace. And so we're followers of Jesus we're asked to, to do the same thing. So that if we've, we have that heart to follow Jesus and it's being changed into the likeness and image of our God, then th- this is a motivation for us and we should have that same mind that we don't need to demand and grasp for our rights all the time, that we can let it slide, so to speak. It doesn't mean we ignore it and it doesn't mean we let people use us. Uh, sometimes we need to set boundaries in people that are toxic in our lives. But the end goal is always the same, that they would experience the grace and truth of God. So not only if we're following Jesus do we do this unnatural thing where we're willing to forgive, we're willing to not demand our rights, but we also are acknowledging that God is not absent in my pain, that God is not absent in your pain. He's not absent in your hurt, in situations that are harmful to you that he is aware. And we see this in Romans twelve nineteen. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so it sounds like, you know, and we read this and we're told, told to go contrary to what we naturally want to do, which is get people back because they deserve it. But we're being encouraged here and, and commanded to leave that to the judge, which is the same command we get from James. There is one judge. There's one judge, and he's paying attention. He is a just God. He is a loving God, and he is a just God. He is not blind to what's happening to you. He's not blind to what's happening to me. He knows, and he is aware, and he is involved in that. And you may think, well, burning coals on the head, and we've said it here before, it's, it sounds like, yeah, I want to I hurt this person because burning coals on your head is going like, 
maybe kill you because that's, that's not would not be comfortable to have burning coals on your head. But I think the imagery here is different. And it's, if you wanted to, to bake, you had to have your, the coals in your oven. You had to, so every day you had to have this if you wanted to eat food. And if yours went out, you'd have to go borrow from your neighbor and you would carry it in a container that generally was carried on your head. And so what it's saying is, it's, it's in the context of if they're hungry, feed them. <coughs> if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Like, you're trying to overcome evil with good, and so it, it would make no sense to have something in here that was harmful to someone, but it's saying if your neighbor comes over and they can't make food and you don't like them, bless them. Heap coals on their head. Let, let them walk away knowing that somebody cared about them. And th- what does that say? That says something is different about them. Something is radically different. It stands out, and that's what we're being called to. Um, why? Because God is paying attention, that God is, is the one who ultimately is holding other people accountable for their behavior. So what happens if I send my kids off uh, to do chores, and I wait a few minutes, and I go down, <coughs> I go down to their bedroom, maybe their, their chore was to clean their bedroom, and I go down, and I see, open the door, kind of peek in because I don't want them to know I'm there yet, and I see one kid just diligently killing it. Like, they are picking up clothes, they are dusting, you know, they're working hard. They, they don't even realize I'm there. And I look up, and the other one is just, like, reclined back on their bed, and they got earbuds in, and they're listening to music, maybe looking at a book. What, what is my reaction to the one who is, is busy doing what I've asked them to do? It's praise, it's encouragement. It's my respect. And the other one is going is, is gonna to get encouraged uh, as strong as I can as a parent to get back on track. I'm going to hold each one accountable to their behavior. Now, can, can they encourage one another? Say they both go down and they were working. One was kind of starting to slack off. The other one says, hey, you should get to work. Like, we're supposed to clean our room. Um, yes, we can encourage one another. And the same is true in our lives, that that if we see people doing things that are harmful, that are not about what God is wanting us to be doing, that we, we should encourage people to walk before God rightly. But we, we can't bear that burden for them. We can't make them do the right thing uh, before other people or God. But we can warn them. We can communicate to them effectively. Um, and we can do this and not carry that because they are accountable to God and not to us. Uh, but we can also, we can know t- a couple of things, that how we respond when someone hurts us, it reveals our trust in God's justice. Uh, just like the Romans uh, passage, the Romans 12 passage, is do we believe that there is a God who's paying attention and that he is a just God and that he does love each and every person? Um, and if we do that, then how we respond when someone hurts us does reveal our belief in God's justice. And it also reveals uh, how we respond when someone hurts us exposes our heart. It reveals our character and our maturity in our own heart because our knee jerk is really to get back that eye for an eye idea uh, or to retaliate. You know, I'm passive aggressive, so I will kind of like give you the cold shoulder for a while uh, or may not, I may not call you for a while, whatever. I just, if I feel hurt, that's my natural inclination. But as I grow in Christ, I have to overlook those things. I have to overcome that natural desire uh, to maybe just respond the way other people are responding. And maturity lets me do that. I don't know who originally said this, uh, but it kind of sums up what we're talking about. It's this. Gossip dies when it hits the ears of the wise. Let me say that one more time. Gossip 
dies. Evil talk dies when it hits the ears of the wise. So what does that mean? It means I'm going to hear stuff sometimes, but what do I do with it? Do, Do I kill it right there? Do I believe the best about, even beyond what I hear, do I believe the best? Do I, do I repeat it? Oh, you know what I heard today? Or do I let it stop, let it, let it die? Because that's what I have been called to do. Instead of going along with what others may do, um, I need to take responsibility for that. And James would echo again. It's, a, it's the first point. He says, knock it off. Don't do it. Don't speak evil against each other. God makes it clear throughout Scripture that he has a heart for the afflicted, the poor, the downcast, the hurting, the messed up. That's why we all have hope, right? Because God has a heart for people just like us. And as part of that family, then we should passionately defend and stick up for one another. We should not be people who are backbiting, who are undermining other people, who are assassinating that character. Why can we do that? We can do it because of this. We can extend grace to others in the face of their evil because we follow a king who has extended grace to us in the face of our evil. If we've experienced that, then we can give it. If we haven't experienced that, it's going to be a foreign thing. But if you truly understand the amount of grace that God has extended to you and that is extending to others, then you can give it. So I encourage you to think about that. Who do we follow? We follow a king who is full of grace and truth. So what would it look like in our community if we were a community of believers who put this into practice, that let gossip die when it hit our ears, that defended each other, that were looking for the benefit of the doubt to give to others around us? What would that look like in a culture where we, man, we just can't get enough of gossip and character assassination and, man, don't even get into politics where you're just kind of rooting for certain people to get undermined or a scandal to, to take somebody out of the game? We thrive on that as a culture and how much we would stand out in the best way possible if we were a group of believers, if we were a community that defended others, even when nobody else would, that stood up for and, and went to seek and to save those who are hurting. We would stand out in a great way. We would be a magnet to our community as a place of truth, as a place of grace. So let's be that community. So what are some action steps that we can take as uh, believers this morning? And so on your seat, uh, you'll see action, on your, the, the handout today, there, there's an action card at the bottom. You can go ahead and pull that off. And I would encourage you to, to check one of these things. Uh, you don't need to check all of them, but you can check one of the things. And, and if you put your uh, contact info there, we're not going to harass you. We're not going to try and sell you stuff. But what we want to do is we know that it can be easy to commit to something and then not follow through. That you know, The busyness of life will happen tomorrow. And you'll, you'll maybe forget what you, you decided in your heart to do. And, and so what we, we wanted to do is, well, what could we do to help remind you of that? And so if you fill out this action card, all we're gonna do is send you a reminder. Uh, this is the commitment that you made and some encouragement to follow through with that. Um, so that we're not just hearing the word of God, that we're actually putting it into action. And so what are some of the things that we can do? The first one is say yes to following Jesus. <clears throat> Because the reality is, if we don't know Jesus, then all this is is character modification, and I just become a, a moralistic person, but I, I am not connected in a relationship. I'm not a born-again person before God. I have not 
buried my old self and been raised anew. And so I encourage you and give you the opportunity to say, yes, I'm all in on following Jesus. I may not even understand fully what that means, but I believe he's the son of God and I'm going to find out what he's asking me to be doing because I want to be connected to God. The second thing you do is ask God to heal your heart and trust in his judgment. And maybe you're in a place where somebody has hurt you and you, you haven't let it go. And there's, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's frustration in your heart. And, and God is saying, you know what, let's walk through that. And I want to encourage you to ask God to help you release that. Because ultimately, it's, it's holding you back and it's hurting you. So I encourage you that if that's your step, to mark that down. Uh, third thing is extend grace to someone who's hurt you with their words. So maybe it's more than just working on your own heart issue, but it's extending grace to someone else. It's going above and beyond the unnatural thing of passionately defending them uh, so that you can see uh, them come in contact with a God who loves them, that you truly care enough about somebody else, even in the midst of their uh, behavior that's not healthy, that you're able to step in and be an advocate for them through that time. And, and lastly, maybe you need to correct someone privately who's spreading evil in the family. Uh, maybe God is calling you to go privately to someone. Maybe you've been kind of thinking about it, hoping somebody else would do it, but today you realize God is asking you with grace to take truth to someone else because you do care about them and you care about what they're doing to themselves or to other people around them. So I encourage you to fill that out, and you, if you're here uh, physically, you can drop that in one of the baskets as you leave, and we would be happy uh, to, again, remind you of your decision that you've made and help you take that step. Uh, we all have steps. They may not be the same step, but we all have steps, and we need to continue to take those, no matter where you are in your walk with God. Would you pray with me as we close our time together? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for your great love for us. Lord, I want to thank you that uh, you have given us clear guidance. And through James, uh, again, I love that he is so direct. Lord, I love that uh, it's hard to wiggle out of what he is telling us to do, that we should stop it, that we should stop talking evil about others, Lord, because ultimately what we're doing is we're putting ourselves up on a pedestal as a God who is, because you were the only one who can judge. So Lord, I pray that we wouldn't put ourselves there, that we would leave the judging to you, but that we would be the encouragers to other people, that we would be the lovers and the, the, the people who extend grace to those around us, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you care enough about us uh, to extend grace to us, and that as we receive that grace, we would extend it to others. Lord, help us to be a community that shines brightly in this world. Lord, help us to be countercultural. Help us not to be obsessed with gossip and character assassination, but to be obsessed with defending those around us, to be passionately about having each other's backs, caring for one another enough to walk through the good and the hard times together. Lord, I pray that through it all, people would see you, that they would come to know the God who created them, the God who dearly loves them. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you, guys, and have a great day.